With $20 worth of quarters in my pocket, I think I'm living in the shade of an 80s arcade. Shall we play a game? Oh. Happy Saturday, and this is Joel McLaughlin in Living in the Shade of an 80s Arcade. Uh, I am going to talk today about a topic that's very interesting and very newsworthy at this point in time. And that is, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of Activision. Now, Activision was founded in 1979 by what they called the Gang of Four. That would be David Crane, Larry Kaplan, Alan Miller, and Bob Whitehead, all who were Atari employees at the time. Uh, David had found that uh, the games that he uh, personally developed for Atari were fully res- and was fully responsible for had brought over 20 million f- to the company but he was only receiving a $20,000 salary out of the development staff of 35 four programmers uh had produced games that had accounted for 60% of Atari's sales Crane Kaplan Miller and Whitehead became vocal about their lack of recognition within the company and became Known as the Gang of Four, the group met with Kassar, who was uh, at the time uh, leading Atari, in May 1979 to demand that the company treat developers as record labels, treated musicians with royalties, their names on game boxes, so on and so forth. Uh, Who and Kaplan, who called others the others the best designers for the 2600 in the world. Recall that Kassar called the four men towel designers and claimed that anybody can do a cartridge. The four made the decision to soon leave Atari and start their own business, but we're not sure how to go about it. In 1979, the concept of third-party developers, they just didn't exist. There was no such thing at that time. Uh, as uh, At that time, uh, the console makers published the games themselves, like Atari. Uh, and Coleco, and so on and so forth. Uh, so the common thinking was then to make console games, you need to make a console first. Uh, the four decided to create their own independent game development company. They were directed by their attorney, Jim Levy, who was at the time raising venture capital to get into software business. For early home computers, Levy listened to their plans, agreed with its direction, and helped the four to secure about $1 million in capital from Sutter Hill Ventures. They also checked with legal counsel on their plans to develop games for the Atari VCS, including litigation fees in their capital investment. By August, Crane and Miller had left Atari. Whitehead was joining them shortly after. Kaplan had also quit Atari in August, but initially decided not to join as he didn't like the business plan. He came back later in December to join Activision, which at the time was actually called Computer Arts Incorporated. While they had a better title, the founders thought the name V of the name VSync, but figured that the public wouldn't understand or know how to say it. Levy suggested combining the words active and television to come up with Activision. So that's the new the new name for the company. Uh 
Uh, that all started just prior to 1980. Uh, in 1980, Activision began working out of Crane's Garage in the latter half of 79, uh, each programmer developing their own game that was planned for release in mid-80, Dragster, Fishing Derby, Checkers, and Boxing. The Warriors' knowledge of the Atari 2600 as well as the software tricks for the system helped them to make their own games visually distinct from the Atari-produced games. To further distinguish themselves, Activision's boxes were brightly colored and featured in-game screenshot on the back of the cover. Uh, the instruction manuals for the games devoted at least one page to credit the developer. Additionally, for nearly all Activision games through 1983, the instruction manuals included instructions for sending the company a photograph of a player's high score to receive embroidered patch in return. Had the release of the first four games, Activision obtained space at the 1980 Consumer Electronics Show to showcase their titles and quickly obtained favorable press. The attention afforded Activision worried Atari as the four's departure had already created a major dent in their development staff. Atari initially tried to tarnish Activision's reputation by using industry press at CES to label the formal lawsuit against Activision, or excuse me, to label those that took trade secrets as evil and terrible people, according to Crane, then later threatened to refuse to sell Atari games to retailers that also carried Activision titles. By the end of 1980, Atari formed, f filed a formal lawsuit against Activision to try to stop the company claiming the Ford stolen trade secrets and violating a non-disclosure agreement. The lawsuit was settled by 1982 with Activision agreeing to pay royalties to Atari, but otherwise legitimizing the third-party development model. In 2003, Activision's founders were given the Game Developer's Choice First Penguin Award, reflecting their being the first successful third-party developer in the video game industry. Uh, following the first round of releases, each of the founders developed their own titles about once a year over the first few years of the company. With 1980 games, were those 1980 games were modest hits. One of the company's first successful games was Kaboom, released in 1981, which was Activision's first game to sell over a million units. Activision's breakout title was 1982's Pitfall, created by David Crane. More than Four million copies of that game were sold. Near the end of 1982, Kaplan left Activision to work on the development of the Amiga personal computer as he wanted to be more involved in hardware development. Total sales for Activision was estimated $157 million and revenues at $60 million ahead of its June 1983 initial public offering. And at this point, Activision had around 60 employees. Danny Goodman stated in Creative Computing Video and Arcade Games Magazine in 1983, I doubt that there is an active Atari 2600 owner who doesn't have at least one Activision cartridge in his library. The company completed its IPO in June of 1983 on NASDAQ under the stock ticker AVSN. All right. So um, that kind of covered them through the early part of the 80s. Um, but before we go on to the rest of the show, I'd like to put a good shout out to Travis Young, also known as DJ Flounder. Thank you for playing this show on Roundtown Radio. I appreciate all the hard work you do. And let's go ahead and thank our other friends 
and our sponsors. All right, before I go and thank our hosting provider, I do have some shout-outs today. I want to thank our good friend Rob Flott at Living in the 80s. If you like the 80s as much as I do, you need to check that show out. You may run into Matt Moore over there. And uh, like I said, check him out. Also need to put a shout-out to Jason Peitzmeyer at Chewing the Fat, as well as um, Free For All and his wife's show that he produces in the salon. Uh, great content over there. You do need to check all of those shows out. And I also want to thank my good friend Travis at Roundtown Radio for playing this show. Uh, he plays us right behind Living in the 80s. We're like two peas in a pod. You got to listen to Roundtown Radio. Uh, thank you guys for your support. And let's go thank our hosting provider, Anchor. And welcome back to the show. Uh, so uh, Activision uh, is critical to the success. I think it's critical to the success of the Atari 2600 at the very beginning. Uh, and it really, I mean, it started in the 80s and it's still around, man. It's uh, uh, still, they're still a part of uh, the... Um, of the video game history as well as uh, continuing to make history themselves in their current form. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that before the end of the show, but before um, I go too far, I want to talk about some of the great classic games they had on the Atari 2600. Um, there's just some really fantastic uh, games at, like... Um, they said here in the in the I said here early in the show there. I don't know a single person who had the Atari Twenty Six Hundred that didn't have at least one of these Activision games. So I'll go through some of the uh, honorable mentions. I'll kind of talk mostly about the ones that I had. Okay, and, and mention a couple of the others here. Um, of course, one of the earlier ones was boxing. Uh, we did have boxing. My brother had that one. Brother and I had that one, and it was really fun. It was basically an overhead shot of two boxers duking it out, and uh, it's just a really fun, great, fun game. And we definitely had that one. Um, another one we had, uh, I think we had one called Laser Blast. Laser Blast. Uh, there was you were. Um, uh, Flying a, a piloting a flying saucer, and you had to destroy the anti spacecraft guns at the bottom. It's kind of a little bit of a little bit like Space Invaders, but in reverse. You know, the you were the alien and trying to shoot the the turrets on the ground. Uh, very fun, uh, one of my favorites. And then of course there's the classic River Raid, uh, which was my mom's favorite game. It was a uh, um, top you know overhead uh, game. You were a jet plane flying up down a river. And you had to shoot bridges out, ships, planes. Uh, There's a one thing you also had on that game uh, was uh, fuel. And as you were flying, uh, you used fuel up, so you had to run your little plane over the the gas tanks so that you could uh, uh, stay flying. So it happened to be one of my mom's favorite games on a 2600, and one that uh, 
Um, I very fondly remember. Uh, other games uh, the, are the classics. Uh, Kaboom. Uh, was you were you were a little uh, like uh, I think you were a mad bomber at the top, or no, there was a mad bomber at the top, and you had to catch the bombs. Uh, so uh, and that was one of the ones they had to actually use the paddles uh, instead of the joystick. Uh, it's actually not in this list, and I don't know why it's not on the list. But one of the games I remember was definitely an Activision game. Was uh, and. It was the 80s, so uh, the most popular thing uh, to do uh, occasionally in the 80s was uh, watch the Space Shuttle and learn about the Space Shuttle. The Space Shuttle was a huge thing in that day and age. And um, Space Shuttle, A Journey Into Space, was one of the first space simulators ever. Um and uh, it, it came out on the Atari first, but it, it's I'll probably also been ported to some other systems as well. But the one that I fondly, most fondly remember is the one on the 2600. And it literally used a joystick plus the entire console to play the game. Because um, you use the switches, the difficulty switches and stuff. Instead of setting difficulty levels, they actually did things in the simulator. Uh, very fun game um, if you're into that stuff. Uh, not Probably not one of their most popular games, but it's definitely one uh, that I remember if I playing uh, very much. Um, and if you watch YouTube, there's a dude named uh, Metal Jesus. Well, that's what he goes by. His name, real name's Jason. Uh, but Metal Jesus Rocks, great channel. Um, but uh, because of him, I have to mention the game Hero. Uh, Hero is a really great game uh, for... Uh, the Atari 2600, and you're basically uh, this guy with a little helicopter pack on the on the back, uh, and you had to fly around the level, and you had a laser beam to defend yourself from the game's various enemies, bats, snakes, and spiders, and you're also equipped with dynamite. And last but certainly not least, probably the one that everyone knows that w that was done by Activision was Pitfall by uh, David Crane himself. Um, Pitfall was just a, a, a huge game. It was one of the, the one of the ones that almost everyone played who had an Atari 2600. So it's just one of those games that, like, it's just such a classic on this console. So I really suggest you checking out. So, like, after um, the 80s, most of the 80s, they were a very popular um, game company on the 2600. Uh, they went through the, the crash in 1983 and survived. Um, and they also started making games for Intellivision and uh, ColecoVision as well. Uh, and they started to branch out more into other systems, including computer games at one point. Um and then later on, uh, Activision began, began to get involved with uh, other software because besides video games like business applications, which that I didn't know, as a result, Activision changed the corporate name to Mediagenic to better represent all of its activities. And Mediagenic had uh, four different groups. It had Activision, which we know and love. Uh, they concentrated on uh, Atari the Nintendo Entertainment System, Sega Master System, Atari 7800, Atari ST, 
Commodore 64 and the Amiga, video game-wise. Then you had the, the Infocom. At one point, uh, Infocom was an independent company. They picked up Infocom, who did text adventures on the PC. Uh, so they uh, are part, were a part of, during from 88 to 92, were a part of Mediagenic. GameStar was initially an independent company, uh, but was purchased by Activision in 1986, specialized in sports video games. And 10.0 was the business application software that was made by Mediagenic, a.k.a. Activision, under the Mediagenic banner. And then in 1989, after several years of losses, Activision closed down Infocom uh, and... Uh, Extending and they extended only 11 of the 26 Infocom employees to relocate to the uh, Activision offices, and only five of them accepted the offer. Uh, notably, during this time, Mediagenic was known to have worked on earlier versions of football games that would be the basis of John, Joe Mantona football. Uh, Sega of America's Michael Katz had been able to get Sega to pay Mediagenic around the early 1990 to develop this into a the branded version after securing the rights to Joe Mantena's name, but was unaware, and I just clicked and went somewhere I didn't want to go, so hold on. But they were unaware of internal troubles that had been going on at the in the company at the time, which left the state of the game mostly unfinished. Katz and Sega were forced to take the incomplete game to Electronic Arts, which had been developing its own John Madden football series for the personal computer to complete the game. During this period, Mediagenic via Activision secured rights to distribute games from Cyan Worlds. The first game published by Activision from Cyan was The Manhole on CD-ROM for personal computers, the first major game distributed in this format. Uh, in 1990, Bobby Kotick purchased... Uh, Mediagenics, uh, which, you know, I think at some point they, see, yeah, I don't really want to go into complete details, but over the years, um, they've had, uh, acquisitions, uh, like Raven Software, uh, Neversoft, Infinity Ward, after Electronics Arts released the game Medal of Honor, Light Assault in 2002, Treyarch, uh, Gray Matter Interactive, Red Octane, and Toys for Bob. Toys for Bob uh, was founded by Paul Wright, Fred Ford, and Terry Falls in 1989 and gained success developing the first two Star Control games. Later made uh, film to video game adaptations. Activision purchased the studio in 2005 and given them work on some of Tony Hawk's games back in the day, back in the 90s. So. Uh, then in 2008, they merged with Vivendi Games. Uh, Vivendi Games, uh, you know, of course, they started picking up uh, Blizzard and a few other things. And to today, in the news this week, uh, is that Microsoft had bought Activision Blizzard for around $700 billion. So now um, Activision is a part of Microsoft. Who'd have thought? <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, uh, Activision is just such a uh, classic game company back in the day. Uh, still popular. They still make a lot of the popular games that, that uh, are currently coming out today. And they are still a force uh, to be heard uh, in the game industry. Uh, 
to give you some idea of some of the games that uh, this company has produced um, in the 2010s, uh, Blur uh, was in 2010, Singularity, NAS- NASCAR the Game Series uh, from 2011 through 2013, the Skylander series from 2011 through 2018, SpongeBob SquarePants uh, from 2013 to 2015, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I am assuming this is the new uh, Nickelodeon cartoon uh, from 2013 to 2016. The Destiny series, which is just a huge game today, um, in uh, 2014 to 2018, and Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice in 2019 um 1991's uh just kind of get some of the releases uh some of those stuff that uh infocom uh and others have come out with in the 90s hunter in 1991 the zork series from 1993 through 1997 dark rain series from 1997 to 2000 heavy gear series from 19 97 through 1999 the quake series were produced and distributed by activision uh in 1997 through 2007 interstate series 1997 through 1999 the battle zone series 1998 through 1999 sin in 1998 heretic 2 in 1998 vigilante 8 series uh, 1998 through 2008, Tenchu series, and 1998 through 2004, and the Call to Power series from 1999 through 2000. Star Trek series uh, of games from 1999 through 2003, and the Tony Hawk series from 1999 through 2015 and in 2020. So uh, <laughs> they're still around, man. Uh, and it, it's an incredible time uh, uh, to be playing games. And, you know, you can definitely get some of these on systems like the Switch now. So if you want to play some of the old 2600 games and see where Activision's really started and where this gang of four started the first third-party game developer ever on a console. So, all right. Pretty cool, I think. So, all right. Uh, so that's been the show for this week. I don't know what the topic's going to be next week. I'll have to figure something out. But uh, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>